In nature, predators cut off their prey from the pack, leaving them vulnerable, easy to attack. Modern society values independence, the strength to stand on our own, to make our own way. Forfeiting not only the comfort of home, but the bonds of family and community. But in our isolation, we become weak, perfect victims. That was the voice of reporter Carl Kolchak in the case that we call Timeless. Can't say it aired, but it was dropped on iTunes, dumped unceremoniously on February 7th, 2006. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Chris Tashu. I say you copped my phrase there, dumped unceremoniously, is uh, what I have come come to believe the Night Stalker from 2005. That should have been, that should have been the subtitle of the show, Night Stalker. In a world where your show never airs. This is really, I mean, this is the penultimate episode, and it never aired. So, great. Hey, at least there's no tattoos on the wrist or anything in this one. Oh, dear God. I'm so happy about that. It's definitely an episode that doesn't have any of the quote-unquote mythology tied into it, which by this point, I don't know why there's any mythology anymore, because supposedly it was all tied up. This episode, let's just cut to the chase. It felt really familiar to me. Oh, it almost felt like, oh, what's that show? There's like a woman with red hair, and then there's a guy who's named after an animal. Oh, yeah, The X-Files. It felt a lot like The X-Files. Didn't it feel a little bit like The Night Strangler? Yeah, well, I mean, it felt like a, a mishmash of things. That, that My point is, like, it felt like a bunch of other things that were copying from the original show. So we start off this episode in a park. We've got a dog playing fetch, and then we are cross-cutting with a woman who is maybe being tortured or something. Eventually, we find out that she is having her vital life essence drained from her, or she's going to have her face bitten into and have her pituitary gland stolen. And if that sounds familiar, listen back to some of our previous episodes, because we have talked about this exact same thing before. Just like in the episode Tombs. The same thing. He's stealing some sort of gland to make him live longer. And it's like the same thing where there's like 35 years, just like Night Strangler. It's like, oh, my God, like this original ideas, I guess, are at a premium for this show, which it, it, it could have been a good episode. It's, again, another lackluster outing for a show that everyone has been telling us is a lackluster show. At least in this episode, we get a lot of Eugene Bird as Alex Nyby, because he's really at the center of this thing, because there's this dead body that gets found. That's how we were cutting back and forth between the park and this woman, was because the corpse is found at the park, and she's got this big hole in her face. And Nyby is like, no, something's hinky here. But the coroner, the other coroner, because I guess he's the assistant coroner, is just like, yeah, no, everything's fine here. Everything's fine. We're all fine. How are you? This guy, Aaron Shields, is his character's name, played by Kevin Rahm. And I don't think we've ever seen him before, but he's just kind of wedged into this, as is his mother, Marlene Shields, played by Nira Ferlin 
who is looking really good for the most part. Yeah, the character of Dr. Shields definitely felt like a CSI character of the week. He's totally not the bad guy thing. It would have been cool if this had been a character that had been in the show for a couple episodes, because that would have been like an interesting way to introduce a character who's already been in the show as like an integral part into the episode. Right. And then that twist of him being something fiendish would have been like, oh, okay. It's kind of like there was a one of the assistants on Bones who ended up being basically a pawn for a serial killer. And it was like, oh, well, that's kind of a shock. I didn't see that coming. It would have been interesting if that had been the way the episode had done it. However, we just get a clearly shoehorned in character who we've never seen before, who totally doesn't have anything to do with the main villain. Feels pretty ham fisted, as always, with this show. Well, what is his relationship with this woman that he's calling his mother? Because there's also another, I can't say a character, but it's a corpse that seems like that was the mother's old assistant or something. Like he says, my brother, I think at one point. So it's like, is he actually blood kin with her? Because it seems like he's been with her for a long time as well. So they show a picture at the end of the episode that would lead me to believe that it is his mom, where it's like her holding a young boy. And she has lived for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Right. Eating people's pituitary glands, which, by the way, um, a tumor or a problem with the pituitary gland is what causes like acromegaly, which is like, you know, what? Uh, you know, like the Big Show or Sun Ming Ming or any like the big, like very tall people, Andre the Giant, that's what they had a problem with was their pituitary gland, which I don't know how that equates into living forever. It's a thing. It's a gland. So we're just going to. They're not eating the brain. They're eating something else. Yeah, I've seen that scene before three times now. <laughs> it kind of reminded me a little bit of like Let the Right One In, where. I thought that maybe she would recruit somebody and then use them for a long time and then dispose of them. But it seems like the son is also getting some sort of long-lasting life benefit out of this, too. I guess. Or he's, like, covering up for her. Again, it's not made entirely clear what's going on in a lot of the episode, which is fine. I mean, a little bit left to audience interpretation is normally okay, but... With an episode like this one, where they're trying to actually craft an interesting villain, you got to explain it just a little bit more. I'm not saying completely basal exposition it where it's like this, 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 and this, but like, don't leave it completely up to just, oh, whatever, you'll figure it out, audience. It feels a little sloppy. So Mulder, do you expect me to believe that there's a woman who every 35 years eats the pituitary gland of three women who happen to be born on my birthday and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's kind of what it sounded like. So the reason why I say this one really feels like the Night Strangler is that there is a character coming back in from the Night Strangler, which is Titus Berry, who was known as Mr. Berry in the Night Strangler, played by Wally Cox in that version, and played by Stephen Tobolowski here. Big Tobo. El Tobo. Love the Tobo. Yeah, he is a fantastic character actor. Yeah, he's just fantastic in everything. Like, you know, everybody knows him as Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day, but... He's done a lot more than that, like writing one of my favorite movies, True Stories, which if you've never seen it, go check it out. It's probably not going to be your thing, but if it is your thing, cool. 
But he's great in this episode. I would say he's the best part of this episode, and I'm sure you would agree. Probably with a second place going to Eugene Bird, who's always fantastic as Alex Nyby. Tobo is such that I wish that he had been a regular character in this entire series. Kind of like... Oh, would have given the char- would have given the show some character as opposed to a bunch of flat, one-dimensional characters. Exactly. And it would have been something, I guess, like going all the way back to the Night Stalker, rather than him going... Rather than Kolchak going to outside sources sometimes, he could go down to the morgue, talk to Mr. Barry, and get some information that way. He would be like another source. And, you know, it, it does feel like there is something missing from the show. And now seeing Tobolowski in the show, it's like, well, now we know what was missing. Was like that kind of fourth wheel, fifth wheel, you know, technically sixth wheel if you count Nyby. I mean, I don't. Okay, so. You still don't need Jane in this. I'm sorry. I I like the actor. I disagree. Really? I feel like. The problem with this show, because look, we're one episode away from the end of the show. I mean, we could have this discussion now or on the next episode that we talk about this this show. We could do a postmortem on Kolchak 2005. But this show has good characters that are poorly written, that are one dimensional. I think they all serve a purpose. I just don't think they're executed very well. You don't. I mean, you really don't think the character of Jane has a purpose in the show? Not really. He seems like he's kind of a weird amalgam of Kolchak and Perry in this. Like, he doesn't necessarily do much. And then, I mean, he was the uh, the woman tied to the railroad tracks for at least one episode. And it's like, okay, well, that would normally be the Perry role. I mean, really, in the original, we just had Kolchak, you know, and you got some other people that work at the office. But when Kolchak goes out, he goes out alone. And I think that that might be also the issue with the 2005 show is that it becomes more of a buddy show as opposed to a solo outing show, which obviously the buddy show aspect does kind of draw inspiration from the sh- another show that Frank Spotnitz worked on, which was the X-Files. So they changed – I think they changed the – I mean, I know. I know they changed the the dynamic of the show right from the get-go, right? As opposed to just Kolchak going out, it's Kolchak and Perry Reed. And then Jane going out as well. And so you automatically change the dynamic of this show that was a solo man show who would check in with kind of his other side characters, you know, once or twice throughout the episode. But this has become a very different show, which necessitates, in my mind, different needs for the character and those who surround him. And I think Jane is a good character if he's written better. If he's given more to do other than kind of be, I mean, he's kind of exposition in a lot of these episodes. He reminds me a lot of Xander from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I've never seen a single episode of that oh, show. Well, there's our next podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> Joss, Joss Whedon, hater of women. Nobody's ever talked about that show on the internet before. Another, to me, better show than Night Stalker 2005 was Special Unit 2 from the early 2000s. And the guy who wrote for this episode also wrote an episode of Special Unit 2, where it was very X-Files as far as the, you know, the creepy Mulder and the disbelieving Scully type of character. But it was really played a lot more for laughs, which I appreciated. Yeah, again, it's just he's not given much of a characterization, right? And, and, and like, similarly with Vincenzo. I mean, Jesus, you're not given anything to do. Even Perry Reed's not given much to do. 
Vincenzo doesn't even show up in this episode. Well, he's credited, but he's not in it. And Tobolowski is actually given something to do. He brings a level of interest to the character. And fuck, we're one episode away from the show being done. And we're finally meeting a character who's worth anything. Like, come on. Are you serious, show? Like this, this is, this is the worst way for this show to go out. Actually giving us a character who we give a shit about and then being like, he's in one episode. And oh, by the way, the show's about to be over. And oh, by the way, this episode never even aired. So the people who are watching the show never even got to see his performance. When we get to meet Perry's parents, which I don't think that we've ever met her folks before. And I guess her dad is a doctor because he latches right in on that whole pituitary gland thing. He's just another exposition dump character. I mean, it's, it's one of these things where a lot of the characters aren't given characters. They're just a way to move the plot along. And I think that that's... The problem with this show is that it's just flat, one-dimensional characters. And Kolchak is the only one who's given any sort of characterization, but even then, it feels like he's just sleepwalking through every episode. And I don't know if that's Stuart Townsend's fault. If all the other characters are pretty one-dimensional and flat, I don't think everybody was not committed to their roles in this show. Because I'm pretty sure as an actor, your dream is to be on a show that runs for 13 fucking seasons like Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki. You've got a constant paycheck that you will never have to worry about not making money. And I'm sure everyone who was involved with this show, I would hope, maybe not, were interested and excited in making this show a success. And it's a little disappointing to me that we have gotten this far into the show and nothing has really changed. I can say unequivocally that from the first episode we watched to the penultimate one, it's still that same sleepwalking nonsense that Stuart Townsend has done. Gabriel Union's given nothing to do. And the episodes are ultimately not that exciting or interesting. Right. I mean, it is so by the numbers. I mean, here we go. We've got the one corpse. We know that there's got to be two more before we have another 35 years go by. We have to catch Victor Tombs before he goes back into his hidey hole kind of thing. We get a little bit of a bump because there was another corpse who actually died before the first corpse. So, oh my God, there's going to be one more murder right from the get-go. Perry is like, oh, this woman reminds me of me. Oh, we were born on the same day. I was just like, oh my gosh. I mean, just say... She reminds me of me. She's a very career-centric woman who's driven by this and that and the other thing. Just go ahead and say that. But that they were both born on the same day? No, that's a little much. It's all, again, a lot of conveniences as well. And so we've got the ticking clock, and then it's kicked up a notch, and then we have to have the cross-cutting between what's happening with Perry and then Kolchak figuring out what's going on and then the big race to get those two together and have her life saved. Wow. Uh, we've seen this a few times now. And again, it's not particularly compelling now and it wasn't particularly compelling the first two or three times we saw it. And it also is not a great characterization for the Perry Reed character that she's always the one in distress. Not that I'm saying, I, look, look, let's be real here. There's nothing wrong with characters in distress. I don't know how you get around that. I know that it's 2019 and there are going to be people that say, well, women should never be in distress because that's, you know, not helping the, the, the female role casting in films and TV. But like men or women, I mean, if a man's always being cast that way, it's just it's you, you're going to have to do it for a character one way or another. So you, maybe figure out a way to balance it out. I mean, they did have Jane in trouble at one point in this series. But 
there's an unreal expectation in this day and age with the way that shows portray characters in distress should never be women. It's, you know, it's offensive for a woman to be in distress. Fine, whatever. My issue with this show is that they never strayed very far away from a very reliable, in quotations, formula. The formula for this show has always been the same, very much like the original show, but the standards in 2005 were a lot different than when the original show came out. At least I would have thought they would be, but I mean, again, maybe that's not the way it was interpreted when the show came out in 2005. They have so many people that could be in distress other than just Perry, though. You talked about Jane being there. Vincenzo, maybe once in a while. Maybe even uh, Eugene Bird every once in a while. Come on, but... Yeah, it's it trade off every once in a while. Have Perry save Kolchak half the time or a quarter of the time. That'd be nice. It's very one note. It's it's just it's a formula that works, but just because it's a formula that works doesn't mean you don't have to or want to or shouldn't stray away from the formula and maybe do something interesting. Maybe have a Tony Vincenzo centric episode where Carl and Perry and Jane are all in trouble, and he has to figure it out. Do something. Flex your creative muscles a little bit, because it feels like the show has been treading water since episode one, and we're at the second to last episode, and nothing has changed. Do you know what uh, Perry Reed's father's name is? Perry Reed's father is his name in the show. He's not even given a character name. Awesome. Kind of lazy. It is lazy. Again, the, the show is lazy. It's disappointing. We're part of a couple Facebook groups, and... I mean, I've gone and looked and read at what people say about this show, and I was hoping, I was like, maybe they're just looking at the original show through nostalgic glasses, rose-tinted glasses, right? Maybe this show's actually not that bad. No, I think this show is living up to what other people feel about it. It didn't do enough to differentiate itself from shows that were on at the time. Hell, shows that are still on. I mean, I think Supernatural came out around the time that this show came out. Yeah, I think it was like two weeks before or something like that. I think we talked about that and the the pilot episode. I mean, Supernatural has taken up the mantle of X-Files and, by proxy, Kolchak, uh, which is great because Supernatural, you know, it's gone on for a lot longer than I think anyone thought it would watching the first episode live, which I know I did. But, you know, for all of the problems that it has as a show, which it has a fair amount, it has at least done interesting stuff with the narrative and the formula. There's not saying that this show wouldn't have, but getting into a rhythm and settling into a very basic formula right out of the gate and not doing anything interesting or new or innovative is not going to get you a second season. It's not even going to get all your episodes aired out of the gate. Because this episode was never aired. I believe somebody said dumped unceremoniously. And it's unfortunate because when we talked to Frank Spotnitz oh so many years ago, it was clear to me, and I don't know how you felt about it, that his heart was in the right place with this show. And through no fault of his own, some of his fault, I mean, I err on the side of there's some fault in all camps. The show ended up not going anywhere. And it's an episode like this that is kind of an indicator as to why that's the case. It's derivative of shit we've seen before from better shows, from the original show. And even then, I wasn't a huge fan of The Night Strangler because I felt it was derivative of, of the original TV movie Night Stalker to begin with. I feel like I'm railing against the show, but like, I, I, this is, we're so close to the end here and nothing has changed. And that to me is a huge disappointment. 
So we have one more episode left of this. Will we then also talk about the M word episode of the reboot X Files since it was picking up a Kolchak script? I mean, I would assume so. Yeah, I'm just kind of dreading it. Which one is it? Someone with Murray from Flight of the Concords. Uh, so here's the thing. I watched some of the X-Files when it came back, but I ultimately stayed away from it because it ended up doing more harm to the mythology than helping it. Which, by the way, if you're a fan of the X-Files, you know that those last couple seasons of the show, you know, were essentially the same thing. The show got kicked in the pants once <laughs> David Duchovny left. But it was actually having problems before then, so I didn't watch the I didn't watch the entire new run of the show, did you? No, but I did happen upon that episode, and then I just noticed how Murray was dressed as Kolchak, and then when we talked with Frank, he was like, oh yeah, that was an unused script. So I think we're going to have to read both the script and then watch that as probably, we'll, we'll do... What's the frequency cold check in a couple months? And then we'll do the M word in a couple months. And then hopefully we'll kind of be done with cold check 2005. We'll definitely put it in the rearview mirror. I'm disappointed. I'm not upset. I'm just disappointed. I don't know if a year from now I'm going to remember this show. You know what I mean? Well, let's just hope we go out on a high note with it. Let's make a prediction for the next episode of the show. Do you think the next episode of the show is going to walk us out on a high note? I will tell you that it's the only episode of the show that I actually remember, and that I remember liking the episode. So that's what I'm hoping for. Okay. Because I've looked at, not that you know we should put any credence in them, but um, I've looked at the ratings on IMDb, and there's only three episodes that go above seven. 7.1 for the pilot, with 60 ratings. 7.3 for Malum. With 40 ratings, which, by the way, I don't even know if I trust the ratings then, because Malum is just... mm, Okay. And then 7 for What's the Frequency Kolchak, with 41 reviews. So, my hope is we kind of go out on a high note. My hope was that we were going to kind of reassess this show from a different angle and come to the realization that, oh, it's maybe not as bad as everyone says. But I'm going to have to, you know, know, I don't think there's anything we can do or the show can do at this point to change... My opinion, I think when we're said and done with this, it's going to be, you know, what a disappointment. Not a surprise, considering how everyone on every Kolchak anything has said, yeah, it's not good. Well, next month we'll be back with an episode of the original series, which is Demon and Lace from 1975. So, until then, Chris, what has been happening at the Culture Cast? Well, right now on the Culture Cast, we are actually in the middle of Mike White March, named for the uh, gentleman who is currently currently sitting to my left. I wish he was sitting to my left. On this uh, podcast with me, uh, Mr. Mike White programmed the entire month of the Culture Cast. We're talking Ozploitation films, Australian exploitation films, if you couldn't pick that up from the uh, pretty on-the-nose moniker. So if you want to check those out, and we're watching some interesting films, stuff that I don't think either one of us have seen, so it's pretty exciting to kind of get a fresh take on these movies that we hadn't seen either one of us. Uh, head on over to culturecast.com. Mike, what are you up to when you're not on the Kolchak tapes? 
Well, I co-host a podcast with you called Dreams for Sale, where we talk about Twilight Zone from the mid-80s, so starting in 1985. And we are just in our nascent days with that. I think we've got, what, five episodes under our belt? Six, maybe, by the time this comes out. So can check that out over at Twilight Zone 85. And then, yeah, I do a little thing called The Projection Booth every week where we talk about all kinds of crazy movies. And, yeah, it's no exception. Pretty soon you and I will be recording an episode about the taking of Tiger Mountain starring a very young Bill Paxton. Rest in peace, Bill Paxton. So, as always, I want to thank John Walker for our theme music. I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Please head on over to iTunes where you can rate and review the show. And you can make us a lot happier if you leave a nice rating. Please do. The past has endless stories about tragedies that have struck those who've come before us. A history of tears. But nature remains indifferent to our suffering, offering only a cold, hard truth, one that becomes harder to bear the more we learn to love living. That at the very moment life first pumps through our veins, the clock is set to stop.